What's up, V family? That is the best sermon introduction ever. I am seriously doing that every single week now. All right? Hey, big hand for the band. Good job. Thanks, guys. Woo! Who's fired up for a new series now? Let's do this. The things I do to help you remember a book of the Bible. You will forever remember the book of Jude now, all right? If you got a Bible, make your way to the book of Jude. If you don't know where the book of Jude is at, well, uh, God inspired a table of contents. So you can uh, look there, uh, or you can just turn to the very back. Uh, the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Jude is right before uh, the book of Revelation. It's a little tweet. It's a little small one-chapter book. In fact, it's one of the most neglected books uh, in the Bible and in the New Testament. And we're going to spend um, the next seven weeks looking at this little book uh, in a series that we're calling Contend. Um, you know, the church has always, if you study church history, the church has always had challenges and challengers. Amen? There's always been challenges, always uh, been challengers that have questioned the faith that we've been given uh, as Christians. And so we're going to talk about the next several weeks what it means to contend for that, to defend the faith and contend for the faith uh, that we've been given uh, in the gospel. And so uh, that's what this is about. And like it or not, I'm your spiritual trainer. Okay, so I know that puts you in a very sad situation. But I'm your pastor. And it's my job to equip you, to challenge you, uh, and to get you ready for the fight of faith, okay? So that's what we're going to be talking about in this little book called the book of Jude. Everybody there? Okay. If you're able to stand, please do so uh, as we honor the reading of God's word. Just just a little introduction this morning uh, to the book of Jude. Uh, That doesn't mean it's going to be a short sermon, okay? Just an introduction. And let's look at the first four verses here. as we get into this great book. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people uh, long ago were designated, uh, for certain people crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, Pray for me. Pray with me now. Let's, Let's really ask God in these few moments together to speak to us through his word, okay? Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time together as a faith family uh, to now study your word. Um, This is such a powerful uh, book. Your word is powerful. And so I pray that your spirit would come now and teach us, challenge us, equip us, conform us into the image of Christ. Um, We must be a people who takes seriously this call and command to contend for the faith. 
So we ask this now in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was a normal, cool day in Anchorage, Alaska when George Murphy uh, almost lost his life. George was out walking his two golden retrievers when he was attacked by a vicious animal. He wasn't attacked by an angry bear. Uh, He wasn't attacked by a prowling wolf. Uh, No, George was attacked by the notoriously vicious moose. I don't know if you know this about Alaska, but you are more likely to be attacked by a moose than a bear and wolf combined. Aren't you glad you know that? All right? (laughs) And out of nowhere, as he's walking his dogs, uh, this 800-pound moose starts charging at him. He doesn't know what to do, and so his first response is to jump into a snowbank to try to hide, but he wasn't successful. The moose comes up to him and starts stomping on his head and stomping on his back, and George just cries out, help! That's when his 85-year-old wife, Dorothea, took action. Dorothea ran to the truck. She grabbed a snow shovel and started running towards the moose. She took that snow shovel and she whopped that moose across the head. She said, and I quote, I gave it everything I had. (laughs) And it worked. The moose quit stomping on George and walked away with one shovel of a headache. George was airlifted to a local hospital where he would recover from broken ribs and a head injury. Uh, But I want you to picture that showdown. I want you to picture that toe-to-toe square-off. You've got this 97-pound, 85-year-old woman squaring off against an 800-pound moose with nothing but a snow shovel. Why? Yeah, way to go, Dorothea. Now, why would she do that? Why would she even engage, particularly given what the moose was doing to her husband? Why would she even do anything? Here's why. Because some things are worth fighting for. Because sometimes you just can't stand there and do nothing. Because sometimes something so valuable is on the line, you have to take action. She couldn't just stand there and watch her husband get stomped by a moose. In fact, she said in one of the articles that I read, quote, we've helped each other out of problems before. This was just the latest. If the latest event in your marriage is being stomped by a moose, you might want to seek counseling. All right, so, but listen, oh, oh, come on, talk to me this morning, faith family. Don't we all know this to be true? There are just some things in life worth fighting for, right? There are some things in life you've got to do something. So let me ask you, what are those things in your life that's worth fighting for? I'm not talking about like the last piece of cake or who gets to control the remote. That's not what I'm talking about. What are those, what are those big things that you would just say, man, that's worth fighting for? How many of you would say family is worth fighting for? Anybody? Man, you can, you can mess with me, but don't you mess with my family. You've heard me say this before. You mess with my kids. That's God calling me to prison ministry. All right. That's the way I look at it. You don't mess with my family. Anybody with me? 
What about, how many of you would say, man, freedom is worth fighting for? And we are so thankful for our men and women that sacrifice for our freedoms. It's worth fighting for. How many of you would say like racial equality is worth fighting for? That we are to speak out against the injustices that we see in our world. How many of you would say, I would say this, the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, man, she's worth fighting for. She's worth defending. How many of you would say the next generation is worth fighting for? Our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, man, that's worth fighting for. I believe that life from conception all the way to final breath is worth fighting for. There are things in life that you can't be silent about and you can't sit back and do nothing. But I'm going to give you one that's greater than all of those. Faith family, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God is worth fighting for. You say, Pastor, I'm a little bit bothered that you would say that that's greater than others. And we'll give you just a moment to clarify your statement. Okay, here's my clarification. I believe defending the Bible is greater than all those others. Why? Because without truth, you have no basis of which to value those things. How do you know that life is so important? How do you know that marriage and family matters? How do you know that racial equality is is a good thing? Because of a thing called truth. It's worth fighting for if there's ever been something worth fighting for. Now, when I say the word fight, some of you are getting nervous. So let me clarify. I don't mean punches. I don't mean picket signs. I don't mean snow shovels to the head. I mean standing firm. I want to be very clear on this. So if you've zoned out, zone back in. When I talk about fighting for the faith, uh, because I don't want that call at 3 a.m. in the morning. It's like, Pastor, I did what you told me to do, so come bail me out of jail. I don't want that call, okay? Uh, so I want everybody to say this phrase with me. It's on the screen. Here's what we mean. Say it. We fight for the faith, not with fists, but by standing firm. Everybody hearing me? We're not talking about physical combat. We're talking about a spiritual combat. You say, but pastor, I still don't like your use of the word fight. Well, it's actually not my word. It's Jude's. Verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to what? Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That word contend in the Greek, are you listening, is an athletic term that means to fight. It's the, it's the portrait of a battle. The Greek word was also used in military context uh, for hand-to-hand combat. So that's why we're using this metaphor and we're not changing it because that's what the text is about. But Jude isn't using it in a physical combat way. He's using it in a spiritual combat that we are engaged not in a fist fight, but in a faith fight. Let me give you some other examples in the New Testament. First Peter chapter three and verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to give a defense 
to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with what? Come on, last service, talk to me. Do it with what? Gentleness and respect. Look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. We destroy people. No. Is that what the text says? We destroy, say it, arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every person captive. No. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Look at me. Is it physical or is it spiritual? Is it fists or is it faith? It's faith. One more. Uh, Ephesians 6, 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So I think I've made my case clear that the fight that we are called to fight is a faith fight, not a fist fight. Um, Now, let me take just a moment as pastor to say, this series is really, really important for us. I hope that you will make it a point over the next several weeks to be a part of this. Because I got to thinking, you know, um, the series that we've done here that's received a lot of great feedback have been things like uh, Hope Restored. How many of you actually remember the series on Ruth a few years ago? And then people were just drawn to hope. Uh, uh, the, The Set Free series. Um, about the freedom that we have in Christ as we went through the book of Galatians. How many of you remember that? Okay, good. (laughs) So sad. (laughs) Uh, How about the one we just finished this past uh, week, uh, the Grace Parade? I mean, people were really drawn. Now you got it, okay? I'll put the robe back on. All right, I'll do it. it, Listen, people were drawn to the idea of hope and freedom and grace. Do Do you understand? But I need you to understand, Faith Family, that A series on contending for the faith is just as important. Let me prove it to you from the text. Jude says, I was going to write to you about our common salvation. I had planned to write you this letter. I was going to do a series on the grace of God. I was going to do a sermon series on the great salvation that we have in common. But something else came up, and I had to write to you about something that's just as urgent, just as important, namely, not to explain the faith, but to call you to contend for the faith. It is just as urgent and vitally important as a series on hope and grace and freedom. We need this, faith family. We need this. And we're going to do this the next several weeks. Now, I know you're all ready to get in the ring, aren't you? After that amazing introduction, you're just like, can I just punch something? You know, like I'm fired up. You're not ready to get into the ring. Okay. Who's your trainer? Okay. Who's your, who's your pastor? We're not ready to get into the ring. You see, you don't just walk into the ring and just start saying, okay, let's go. Let's let's do this. No, no, no. You have to prepare for the fight before it ever happens. Amen. You've got to get ready for the fight of faith. So could we just take this morning and get ready for the fight of faith? Four things that as your pastor, as your spiritual trainer, who's also in this same boat with you, four things that we need to prepare for the fight of faith. You ready? Number one, before you fight the enemy, you must put on humility. 
Before you fight the enemy, you must put on humility. You're not ready to enter the ring until you've put on humility. Now, where is that in the text? Okay, we're a Bible people here. Where is it in the text? Verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, you were probably driving here today, no clue as to who Jude was. How many of you have ever heard of Jude before? I'm not talking about the song, Hey Jude. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about the book of the Bible. You know, who is this Jude? Well, he's the half-brother of Jesus uh, and brother of James. You say, half-brother? Well, yeah, Jesus had four half-brothers. You say, why are they half-brothers? Well, Jesus, uh, Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological dad. If you don't know that, just come back Christmas, okay? We'll explain (laughs) how all that worked. That's Christmas time. Um... But Jesus, because Joseph wasn't his biological father, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, the brothers that he had that did come from Joseph were his half-brothers. You with me? Uh, Who were they? Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Jude is just short for Judas. And since the name Judas kind of got ruined by the other guy, he's going by Jude. (laughs) I have no idea if that's the case. I just totally made that up, okay? Um, Who knows? (laughs) Our guest, is he always like this? Yeah, he is. I'm sorry. Jude is just short for Judas. That's all it is, okay? So Jude here is Jesus' half-brother. Now, now Jude thought Jesus was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, all of Jesus' family did, uh, based on John 7. How many of you, show of hands, have siblings, brothers or sisters? Okay. Imagine your sibling comes to you and says, I'm the Messiah. Exactly. That's exactly the right response. Yeah, right. Whatever, Jesus, no way, right? None of his family believed until something kind of significant happened called the resurrection. And that changed everything. Jude and the rest of Jesus' family believes in Jesus. Why? Because he literally died and literally rose again. We don't just celebrate that on Easter, by the way, okay? The resurrection changes everything, and it changed Jude so that he identifies himself at the beginning of this letter as a bond servant to Christ. A bond servant in the ancient Near East was somebody that was in uh, captivity to something, was set free, and then watch, gladly and joyfully became a slave to the one that set them free. And a lot of New Testament authors use this title. They use it to declare this testimony. I was set free by Jesus from the bondage of sin, and I have gladfully and joyfully surrendered all of my life to Jesus Christ, the one who set me free. I have no rights. I have no life. Jesus is my life. That's a bondservant. Now, that position is one of humility. That's how the letter starts. But remember that Jude is uh, saying this about his brother. His brother. I mean, can you imagine being Jesus' brother? Can you imagine the weight of expectations that that would put on you as the brother? Oh, Jude, it's so you made an A on your report card. We're so proud of you. You do realize your brother's dying for the sins of humanity, but you know, an A is good. 
we'll, we'll, we'll put it right here on the refrigerator next to this cross. Right? That's, not, that's not even chronologically accurate. All right? But I mean, can you imagine if you were Jesus' brother? Jude could have started this letter by saying, hi, I'm Jude, the favorite brother of the majestic Messiah. I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? The letter starts with what? Humility. If you want to know my status as it relates to Jesus, if you want to know my relationship as it relates to Jesus, it's not brother, it's slave. I have no rights and I live only for him. That's amazing, is it not? Now, why would that be so important before you enter the ring? Why do you need humility before you get into the fight of faith? Well, here's why. If you know the statement, finish it with me. Pride comes before the fall. You got to get this right. You listening? This fight of faith ain't about you. And don't get in the ring thinking, hey, this is all about my glory. And man, I'm going to impress people with how much Bible I know. And they're going to think I am the most amazing Christian because I destroyed all their arguments. And I stood, hey, it ain't about your glory. It's about his glory. And if you walk in that ring thinking this is about you, you won't last 30 seconds. And jerks for Jesus make terrible faith fighters. Or put it this way, if you fight, if you contend for the faith arrogantly, you are contradicting the faith intentionally. If you fight, if you contend for the faith arrogantly, you are contradicting the faith intentionally. Why? Because you were dead in such a bad situation that God himself had to die for you. And you're going to walk in the ring sticking your chest out. Amen? The fight's not about you. It's about faithfulness to him. It's about his name and his glory and his renown. You're not ready to step in the ring until you're willing to say, I'm a slave to Jesus. Number two. Before you fight the enemy, you must know your identity. Before you fight the enemy, before you get in the ring, you got to know your identity. Now, where is that in the text? Back at verse 1, Judah, servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, we've seen the humility of that, excuse me, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, listen, humility doesn't mean insecure. Humility doesn't mean insecure. Jude now writes to these Christians and he reminds them who they are. You are called, you are loved, you are kept. Let's break those down quickly. Called by God. That's the first thing. This is what made you a Christian because nobody becomes a Christian unless they are called by God. Do you remember last week's message? Please, for heaven's... My job as your spiritual trainer is going to be very, very difficult, all right? Do you remember last week's message on Easter? Do you remember what we talked about in Ephesians chapter 2? You were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive. In other words, you and I were in a very spiritual sense like Lazarus. 
Lazarus ain't getting up until Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Why? He did. He, there, there's no like, I'm not trying, I'm going to get, come on, I'm going to, no, he's dead. He can't do it. The only way he becomes alive is Jesus says, come forth. And because he calls him, he has life then to respond. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also what? Those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Salvation started with the call of God. Number two, loved by God. That is, that what you experienced in becoming a Christian was God's love, right? Again, back to last week. You were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive because he's rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you. What did you experience when you became a Christian? You experienced the amazing, overwhelming, radical love of God. And it's past tense, which means, Christian, guess what? There is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. You are forever, somebody say amen, loved. That's who you are. I'm, I'm talking to you, Christian. You are eternally loved by God. Called, loved, thirdly, kept. Jude here talks about the fact you're kept for Jesus. That is, this is why you're still a Christian today. You're not still a Christian because you're so awesome. You're a Christian because he's so awesome in your life. He is keeping you and you say, well, yeah, but don't we have to act in obedience? Yeah. But where do you get the power and strength to be obedient? Hello, him. It's by the grace of God you came into the Christian life, and it's by the grace of God you live the Christian life. Amen? You're kept by his grace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Oh, I'm having so much fun. I may be the only one, but this is fun. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Now say the next phrase. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being what? Guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Listen, if your salvation is kept by God, how secure is your salvation? Very. It is why I make no apologies. I've said it. I'll continue to say it. If you don't like me saying it, well, I'm going to keep saying it, is that I adamantly disagree and reject the belief that a Christian can lose their salvation. Period, 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 exclamation mark, period, and it will not be taught here. A Christian is secure in God because you don't keep you, God keeps you. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them what? Eternal life and they will what? Never perish and who? No one will snatch them out of what? My hand. My Father who has given them to me is what? Greater than all and who? No one is able to do what? Snatch them out of the Father's hand. I'll believe that you can lose your salvation the moment you show me somebody stronger than God. 
You are in his hand and nobody snatching you out of that. Now, I'm going to say more on this. And you're like, you kind of said a lot right now. All right. Uh, I'm going to say even more on this at the end of the book of Jude because he comes back to this idea. But here's what I'm saying. Christian, everybody right here, guess what? You're called, you're loved, and you're kept. That is who you are. Praise him. Hallelujah to his name. Now, why would that matter in stepping into the ring? Why would I need to know that before I enter the fight of faith? Well, two reasons. Number one, you will not enter the ring if you're not secure in who you are. You will never enter the fight of faith if you don't know your identity. You're going to be like this. And boy, there's a lot of people that are like this, okay? They got one foot in and they got one foot out. And they're like, well, I really want to please her because I don't want her to break up with me. But I know I'm supposed to contend for the faith. And I really want that promotion, so I better be careful what I say. And, you know, then I, I know I'm supposed to, you know, be a Christian wherever I am. And there's this, hey, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Do you belong to the world? or do you belong to God? Which is it? Who are you? What's your identity? Jude says you're called, you're loved, you're kept. You don't belong to the world. You belong to God. You're his. And until you get that right, you'll never enter in. You've got to know, listen, before what she says and they say and they think and college professor and American culture, I am God's. That's who I am. And if you don't get secure in that, you're never even going to enter the ring. You just ride the ropes. And you'll never contend for the faith. Here's the second reason why identity matters. Is because not only will you not enter the ring if you're not secure, you won't endure in the ring if you're not secure in your identity. You're not going to last long. Even if you get in, you won't last long if you don't know who you are. Um, this, I'm about to say it's very deep and profound. I'm, I'm so glad you're sitting down. You're going to be like... I can understand why all the years of seminary paid off. I don't know if you know this, but in the ring, punches are thrown. That's deep, isn't it? Some of our guests are like, is he always this deep? That's, that's amazing, right? I'm being really sarcastic. In the ring, punches are thrown. So why is knowing identity important? Because uh, those punches may be calling you names. In fact, I would tell you in the culture in which we live in right now, that's probably going to happen. Bigot, narrow-minded, fundamentalist, goody-goody, pick your name. I mean, by the way, you're doing this in a godly, respectful way, okay? I mean, if they call you a jerk because you really are a jerk, well, that's because you're a jerk, okay? (laughs) But I'm saying you're just honoring God and contending for the faith, they will call you names. By the way, many of our brothers and sisters in many other countries are facing a lot harder punches than that. But you'll probably receive that one. Or here's one I know you'll receive. You'll receive the punch of discouragement. Gosh, I can't believe I answered that question that way. 
oh, I can't believe I blew that opportunity. Oh, God, I'm a failure. I, I swung and whiffed. And the enemy will come at you questioning who you are to get you to say, I throw in the towel. I'm just, I'm done. I'm such a failure. How could God ever use me? You got to know who, you're all, who you are. You are called, you're loved, you're kept. Can I give you some good news this morning? Who's fired up for some good news? Here's some good news. You are not what the world says about you. You are what God says about you. I don't care what the college professor says. I don't give a rip what American culture says. All I care about is what God says about me. And that means if I swing and whiff, if I make a fool of myself, that's not my identity. God is my identity so I can endure during those hard times in the ring. And they will happen. You ask any boxer who's ever boxed. Those times will come, and your identity in that moment matters. Are you with me? Who's having fun with me this morning, all right? See, we're not ready to get into the ring yet, are we? You thought we were just going to go, okay, let's do it. No, 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 no. you got to put on humility, and you got to know your identity, because until those two things happen, you're not ready to fight. But here's another one, number three. Before you fight the enemy, you got to know his strategy. Before you fight the enemy, you got to know his strategy. Now, where is that in the text? Verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, for who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality, and they denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll talk more about what that false teaching is uh, later in the series. For now, I just want you to see that first phrase, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. That phrase gives you the strategy that the enemy uses in the fight of faith. Okay. Think about it this way. Everybody look here for just a moment. There are four main types of punches and the four main types. All right. So you got jab, cross, hook, uppercut. You with me? Say that with me. Those are the four main ones. Jab, cross, hook, uppercut. This is just so much fun. I'm doing this every week. Okay. Those are the four main punches, jab, cross, hook, uppercut. But there's also another type of punch that is an official punch called the sneak punch. Um, rather than describe it to you, it's better that you actually see it. So notice this very famous boxing match between Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. And they're bouncing around and Liston's going to throw the jab and then watch, boom, he's down. In fact, you almost don't even see it happen. Um, it was like, boom, gone. In fact, many people called it the phantom punch because in real time, you didn't even see it. It was just like, what happened? He, he's on the ground. In fact, people even went so far to say they thought the fight was rigged because they didn't even see the punch. So let's go back in slow motion and you'll actually see it, okay? Liston's gonna throw that jab and then boom. Now remember, that's slow motion. So in real time, it's very fast, very sneaky. It wasn't a, all right, here it comes, Liston. It was just a boom. And it was so powerful He's out. How many of you have that imagery in your mind? 
Now you know what Jude is talking about. What does the text say? It crept in. They crept in unnoticed. In other words, they will hit you when you don't even see it coming. That's how false teaching works. That's the strategy of the enemy. Look, for instance, at Acts chapter 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing, but inwardly, what are they really? They are wolves. They, they look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. In other words, it's subtle. Hey, everybody right here, listen, listen. When the serpent comes to Eve in the garden, he doesn't come to Adam and Eve and say, great idea. Okay, come here, come here, come here, come here. Listen for just a second. Let's destroy the entire human race. That's a great idea. Let's do that. What is it? It's this. Are you sure God said that? Did God, did God really say? Huh. Sneak punch. It's never, here's the big one. It looks just enough like a sheep to destroy you. And if you don't know that before you enter the ring, it will destroy you. Because you won't be alert and on guard for the sneak punch that may come at you at any moment. It's always subtle. Let me give you one. I could give you a thousand. One example from church history. Uh, early 300s AD, a man by the name of Arius came and said, you know what? I don't believe that Jesus is homoousius, same substance with the Father. I believe Jesus is homoousius, similar substance of the Father. You know, not same, just similar. Kumbaya. Uh, let's hold hands, uh, do a closing song in the service, and we'll, we'll just, we'll call it good. But the problem is adding that little E, making it similar rather than same, matters. Like the, the woman that texts her husband wanting to buy an expensive diamond, uh, asking uh, uh, if she could do that, and he texts her back saying um, what he meant to text was no, comma, price too high. Problem is, he left out the comma, so the text read, no price too high, sweetie. <laughs> now, men, are you with me? That comma matters. <laughs> that comma means everything. That little bitty change is the difference from buy it and don't buy it. That little bitty, not homoousius, but homoousius was to say this. I don't believe Jesus was eternal. I believe that Jesus was created and became God. He's not eternally God. By the way, that is the modern day expression of Jehovah's Witnesses. Arianism is still alive and well. It was condemned as heresy at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD because of that little little bitty tweak would lead to heresy and denying the identity of Jesus Christ. It's a sucker punch. 
It's a sneak punch. It creeps in unnoticed. And before you know it, you're five miles down the road into false teaching. Let me give you, this is not an exhaustive list, okay? But let me give you five questions. I know I'm already out of time, but I'm gonna have to hurry. Uh, Jot this down. Five questions that you need to ask when, when this is coming at you. This is not an exhaustive list, but it gets us started. Number one is the Bible question. The Bible question, that is, uh, what authority are you basing this on? We believe as Christians that the authority is God's word. Can I get an amen? That means if somebody comes at you, some of you won't like this, but I don't care. Somebody comes at you and says, I received a word from God, like you will find, for instance, in the word of faith movement. And they say that their word from God is equal to the word of God. You better be careful the sneak punch. I don't care if God gives you a word, but sister, brother, it's not equal to the word. Your word is always under the authority of the word because this is our authority. Amen. Or Buddy, uh, Buddy sent me a, an article this week where uh, the, the Pope uh, has said recently that he can overrule the Bible. Um, no. I mean, I know you're inerrant, but you're wrong on this one. You'll get that later, okay? Um, the Pope is not our authority. A human being is not our authority. The Bible is our authority. Here's one that may be more common for you. My feelings. Oh, somebody ought to say preach, preacher. It's, uh, you know, pastor, I just feel like God's calling me to do this. Well, I know, honey, but uh, it goes against God's word. Yeah, but I just, my feelings make me, I don't care what your feelings say because your feelings dropped out of the third grade a long time ago. The Bible endures forever. Feelings are fine. Words are fine. People are fine. But none of them are authority over God. In his word. That's the first question. Number two is uh, the Jesus question. That is, what are they saying about Jesus? Is he God and man, fully God, fully man? Is he the only way to the Father? Or are they saying, you know, he's a good teacher, he's um, um, one of the ways to God, but there are several ways. You have to ask, what are they saying about Jesus, and does it line up with how he has revealed himself? Number three, the gospel question. Do they hold to the substitutionary atonement? That is simply that Jesus died in our place, that he was our substitute on the cross and he took the wrath of God in our place. Do they believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? Not a spiritual one, but did he actually walk out of the grave? Those things are essential to the gospel. Number four, the salvation question. Is it faith alone or is it faith plus something else? We did an entire series in the book of Galatians on this. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. It's faith in Christ alone. It is not Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus fill in the blank. Everybody with me? If they're adding something to faith, then it's not the gospel. Beware the sneak punch. Lastly, is the holiness question. That is, are they encouraging you to pursue Christ or are they telling you that you can live however you want? Now, we'll get into this more later, but in verse four, uh, uh, Jude says that they uh, 
pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Do you know what that means? They're basically saying that the grace of God means you can live however you want. No, the grace of God means you can pursue Christ with all that you are. Not live however you want. That's not an exhaustive list, but that's a place to start. Was that helpful? So when something comes at me, okay, I'm going to ask those five questions to know, is this a sneak punch that might lead me away from the true faith? So number one was what? Bible, that, sorry, I kind of misled you there. First, preparation to get into the ring was what? Humility. Second one is identity. Third is, I know the strategy, his best punch is the sneak punch. So I'm alert. Here's the last one. Before you fight the enemy, we're almost done. Before you fight the enemy, you must be certain of victory. You must be certain of victory. Where is that in the text? Uh, look at the very last verse of the book. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, what? Before all time and now and forever, amen. This is so important. I've said this before. You don't fight for victory. You fight from victory right? You don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. Here's the good news. I, in every service I've said this, I get excited every time I'm about to say it because this is just, I can't tell you the freedom that comes with this. Notice it on the screen. No matter what happens in the ring, Jesus reigns. <laughs> no matter what happens in the ring, Jesus reigns. Which means all the pressure of building his church is off of you. He said he's going to do that. And he's big enough to handle that task. Amen? Victory has already been given. It's already yours. So step in the ring with assurance in Jesus. Confidence in Jesus, not in your Self. Well, to close, let me ask you this. This morning, have you put on humility? Can you honestly say that you are a slave to God, that this life is not about you, that you're living for Him, that He's your master? You're not ready for the fight of faith until that's happened. Number two, what about your identity? Do you belong to God? Right here, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? If you're not today, would you turn from your sin and put faith in Jesus Christ that you would be called, loved, and kept in Him? It starts there. Thirdly, strategy. Are you grounded enough in the Word that you can discern the sneak punch? That's one of the big things we're going to talk about in this series. And then lastly, victory. I'm not asking, can you sing victory in Jesus? I'm asking, do you live in the victory that's found in Jesus? Every one of us, faith family, every one of us is called to contend for the faith. If you're a Christian, this has to do with you. And it's not with fists. It's with faithfulness. It's not with snow shovels across the head. It's by standing firm. And here's why we do it as I close. Are you ready? Because there is someone who contended for us. 
It's the reason why we were a Christian in the first place. Someone contended for us, one that was not charged by a moose, one that was charged by a pack of religious wolves, one that took on the most vicious predator of all, a serpent, one who was not stomped on the head. He had a crown of thorns crammed onto his head. Head And he went through it all, and he never quit, he never gave up, he never stopped. Do you know why? Because he thought contending for your faith was not just worth fighting for. He thought it was worth dying for. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for... Your word to us this morning, what a challenging message, Um, that we are called and commanded to contend, but we don't just step in the ring without preparing our hearts and life first. We must be humble. We must know our identity. We must be alert for the sneak punch. We must be assured and live in it of the victory that's ours in you. And so I pray this morning for all in this place that um, any one of those areas that your spirit is convicting them in, God, would you minister to them now and prepare us, help us, equip us to be ready for the fight of faith, that we would stand firm in Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen.